0: is Jimmy Scroggins and I'm the lead pastor of Family Church in South Florida. Welcome to the Church for the Rest of Us podcast. On our podcast, we're committed to giving you scalable ideas that you can use with the resources you have right now at your church. So welcome to Church for the Rest of Us. Hey, we're back. Jimmy Scroggins here, picking up where we left off last episode with updated thoughts from our first season. We recorded six years ago, and uh, I'm here with my co-host, Leslie Bennett, high atop the office tower in downtown West Palm Beach, also known as the closet on the third (laughs) floor where we record podcasts. And uh, we're about halfway down the road, uh, last conversation, talking about how we used to aspire to be a regional megachurch. But now we've become a family of neighborhood churches. And Leslie, the reason I want to talk about this in this podcast is because there are so many churches and pastors out there who they go to these conferences, they read these books, and they just feel like maybe they're not even successful as a person hmm. if the church that they're pastoring is in a megachurch. And some people are in a situation where they just realize because of who they are or because of the community where they are, because of the limitations of their particular church, they're never going to be a regional megachurch. And so they just wonder, like, do I need to go to a different church? Uh, Am I a failure? Am I not worthwhile as a pastor? Is God not going to bless me? And I just want to say to all of our listeners, man, you need to bloom where you are planted, exercise the gifts that you have, Thank God for the opportunity in the mission field that you're in. It does not make you more or less worthy in the kingdom of God. The size of your church is not the key to any of this. Faithfulness is the key. Otherwise, all those pastors out there in third world countries, pastoring churches in the middle of rice paddies and all kinds of situations, they would all be failures. And you know that that is not the case. So we have a responsibility, and I just want to encourage all of my brothers out there serving in churches of any size, it's worth doing. But we have learned a lot about this transition from the regional megachurch aspiration and vision to the Network of Neighborhood Churches Aspiration and Vision.
1: We have, and like you said, Pastor Jimmy, as we've learned, our language has sharpened a little bit, and so we do have this idea now that we call putting a neighborhood church in a neighborhood building with a neighborhood pastor who speaks the neighborhood language, and along the way, God has allowed us to add some incredible men to our team. We had them on last episode. If you missed it, you can go back and listen to it. So we're picking up where we left off, and we want Pastors DeSilva and Smith and Gaston to to tell us a little bit more about their neighborhood church that they're pastoring right now and how it's distinct from our other neighborhood churches and, and kind of what it feels like. So let's start on the other side, Pastor De Silva.
2: Well, I'm serving the neighborhood church in the Green Acres in West Palm Beach. We have around uh, 45% of the population, the Hispanic. The population change that I, I did in my study in the area try to find out who is living in the area, people from different places in South America. Like in our congregation, Leslie, we have uh, 16 countries. Mm. And you say, oh, 16 countries, everybody speaks Spanish. is the same, though. They speak Spanish, but it's 16 countries. It's a lot of things are totally different. So in order for us today to reach out our neighborhood, our community, it's interesting because... The first thing we has been done in those couple years was uh identified our people, our leaders, training our leaders and their own language, we have our own building, we know our people, so it's interesting to see the neighborhood church in the heart of the Green Acres reach out to the Spanish populations growing every single year, and God have be so good with us because for us, as is, is a culture inside the culture, reach out to the people in, in the United States, right here in South Florida, it's so powerful, it's amazing. I just wanna mention to you, uh, a couple years ago, when I came to South Florida, I was starting this church. So I had in this in my mind, oh, probably I have to be a mega church. So I didn't know anything. I was in this conference called C3, big conference in America. I took four of my leaders, we drove to there. And when we arrive to the conference and you see those big mega church and pastors leading and communicating, after the three days in the conference, I came to my house I was two weeks in the press <laughs> I said, what the i i i don't have a, i don't have a money I don't have a the worship leader, I don't have a this, this, and that, because that was the mentality in order for you to plant a church, you wanna be a mega church. I was there. So many years later realized about the power of the neighborhood church. And today in our congregation, we live so very special moments to see a lot of people, Latinos from everywhere, coming to the neighborhood church is only five, six miles from their home. A lot of people, they walk to the neighborhood church. Mm. So that's, that's powerful for me to see this. That's good.
3: Yeah, yeah I'm Todd Gaston. And uh, as I was sharing in the last episode that uh, I was leading and pastoring a mega church in Northern Virginia. And actually, two of my daughters came down here for college right here on the same campus right here adjacent to this, the downtown campus. They were coming to PBA. And as we came down to Palm Beach Atlantic to visit them on a spring break between the beach and the pool, and the pool and the beach, I found myself in a Sunday service right here. And Pastor Jimmy, you were preaching and you were sharing this vision about we're going to plant 100 neighborhood churches. And I remember as I heard that, my heart kind of leapt a little bit. And uh, I ended up engaging a conversation with you after the service, and you kind of gave me a, bless your heart, pastor. <laughs> then the next day you called me and you said, man, what do you mean? Because you know, I said, hey, I'm I'm kind of interested in what you're doing here. If there's anything I fit, could you just you know consider me? And so you called me up, Jimmy, and you said, hey, listen, Todd, I don't know why you'd want to leave what you're doing right now. And I said, I don't know if I'm supposed to leave or not. All I know is this, as you were talking about the power of a neighborhood church, something in my spirit leapt. And within six short weeks, my wife and I prayed through things and we were prayerfully made a decision to leave my current situation, which was still growing and doing great things to begin again in a new model where I would be a neighborhood pastor and with the hopes of being able to multiply this neighborhood movement about an hour north of West Palm. And so I promoted up, took a pay cut, <laughs> loaded up a Penske truck, and drove down here to begin again. And and it was kind of interesting because my first Sunday in, uh, 60 people. Uh went from about 3,800 people to 60 people mm-hmm. all over the age of 60 and 70. And I went, okay, this is going to be a, a different moment. Mm-hmm. but. In uh, about a year and eight months, it has been just revolutionary to see what God has done. Uh, not only in resetting my heart and kind of giving my position with my gifting and my calling, but just to see the favor that God has given us to have strength right there in Martin County in that neighborhood. And, and it by far is a, is an older community. Part of that is is it's you come check out the water, look at the boats. People come here to retire mm-hmm. from all over the country. But yet, at the same time, there are so many people that have never been exposed to church, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it blows my mind, but we are getting opportunity to baptize all, all sorts of people, multi-generation again. And that's probably been the powerful movement in the early days of just beginning again is watching our kid ministry. We had zero babies, and we've now got three nursery classes at the first hour in our in our worship services, and, and even what we've seen in student ministry, it is truly becoming a multi-generational church right there in Martin County.
4: Kevin Smith and Family Church Village is in a uh, neighborhood of West Palm Beach called The Villages at Palm Beach Lakes. We are nearly 30 nationalities. We have members they or their parents are from almost every continent, probably except Antarctica. Where we are situated is a little bit of a landing strip for people moving to West Palm Beach because a lot within a mile within certainly within two miles of us are moderate income homes, expensive homes, condominiums, apartments, all types of things. Uh, we've actually sold some land, and so there's an apartment complex that kind of like wraps around the congregation there's townhouses across the street so it's that type of a has a little bit of a transitional element to it but the uh, nearly 30 nationalities gives us a very much of a global united nations type feel and so in the context of what does your neighborhood church feel like we have we strive for family resemblance with all of our neighborhood churches and we have our neighborhood distinctives and our neighborhood distinctive is probably just the eclectic multinationality with just a little bit of a Caribbean flavor, just because two of the larger nationalities are Jamaicans and Haitians. Um, in fact, I try to play that off of each other. <laughs> y'all need to invite more people. The Haitians are catching up with y'all, Jamaicans, Jamaicans. y'all need to. So, But I mean, Europeans, Western Europeans, Eastern Europeans, Central Americans, South Americans, and that's usually... Latin people, that's usually their kids or their grandkids who perhaps were educated in school speaking English. And so that's kind of what Family Church Village feels like. Uh, We love singing. That's certainly a trait of what we do. And our main outreach, we have partnerships with uh, local public schools. And I also really encourage members to have a third place kind of where they hang out and they're in places other than like churchy Christian settings. Mine is a mile around the corner. We are a mile around the corner from the Harley-Davidson dealership. (laughs) in West Palm Beach. And so I love meeting bikers. I love sharing the gospel with bikers, getting to know bikers. So I try to encourage every member to have a third place, whether that's their fitness center, their coffee shop, or whatever. So now
1: if- we know why <clears throat> Pastor Kevin really came.
4: Because
1: his church was going to be a mile <laughs> oh, from the Harley wow. Davidson yes, shop. Exactly.
0: It was it was a factor. We, yeah. we made sure he was aware of that when he came. Exactly. Well one thing I like to say too Leslie about all three of these men is they're all highly successful pastors, both in a mega church setting, but also In a neighborhood church setting. So all three of them were thriving pastors of mega churches. And yet now, you know, Pastor De Silva is a church planting pastor. So Pastor De Silva, I think you guys just out of uh, Family Church of Acres, I think you planted five churches out of there, haven't you? exactly. So we've got five churches. So he's raising up leaders, planting churches that speaks Spanish, and uh, he's planted one church that speaks Portuguese, and so, and he's got another bunch of them in the works, and Todd Gaston's only been here uh, less than two years, I think, and his church has gone from 60 people to uh, almost 700 people, and he's already got another church that they're about to plant. In uh, February, and then he and Pastor Silva have partnered to plant one, and so uh, they they have it up and rolling. They've got four churches going up there in the Treasure Coast, and Pastor Kevin already planted a church since he came two years. His church planted a church, and it's thriving and doing well. So mm-hmm. these men are not just former mega church pastors who wanted to kick back and relax, I, I think all of us would say, we're working, <laughs> working harder. harder. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. yes. Because, uh, but these guys are multiplying themselves, and God is using them in a tremendous way.
1: That's awesome. I know. It's so exciting to see. And I'd like to say, and for my position as being part of the pastor search committee, we had this idea of having multi-site church. I don't think we envision neighborhood church. But my response is God's done exceedingly abundantly mm. more than we could have ever asked for or imagined in this situation, watching all of these things unfold. So as we think about doing neighborhood church, what do you think is the strength of the neighborhood church model? What are you seeing happen?
4: Pastor Jimmy just mentioned church planting. A neighborhood church model versus kind of a a, a regional model removes certain number considerations from your thought process. So when a worship leader in my context, a very good worship leader is called to plant a church and he has a very fruitful young adult, small group that he's leading as well. So when a, if 20% of your congregation is going to go and plant a congregation. Well, I mean, if a priority and a goal for you is not accumulating people for a regional mega church, then a twenty percent reduction or in twenty percent sending is it just doesn't strike you the same way, like mm-hmm. oh, this is what we're about anyway, we're about church planting. we're not about like this kind of like conglomeration, and so I think philosophically, the neighborhood church gives you great enthusiasm for church planting and for sending anyone and prayerfully for sending your best Mm. because that's the model that you're committed to versus just accumulation yeah we often say you know we're not casting shade on the
3: mega church model we celebrate our you know sister churches that are doing that extremely well in our area our distinctives is we're trying to like you shared put the neighborhood pastor in that neighborhood Mm. building and i think that's the key we do live preaching at all 14 locations because we just believe in that that ability to connect with the pastor at that neighborhood level. I love the fact that when I was able to arrive here and have that church of 60, because of the resource support that we get from being neighboring churches, we're better together. Mm. We're able to renovate a building. We're able to hire staff. We're able to run plays that we wouldn't have been able to afford to do at that scale as we continue to grow up. And then at the same time, we're trying to do day one, teach our church, hey, we're about to multiply again. On our two-year birthday is going to be a landmark moment because we're going to be sending hopefully 150 people four miles down the road to launch the next neighborhood church in the Jensen Beach neighborhood. To me, that just begins Mm -hmm. to help people know we're a part of this movement and it's going to take raising up new people. But I'm telling you, the strength is, is we're getting to share in this together. And right now that building's getting uh, renovated and it's cost a lot of money, more money than we thought. But at the same time, that's possible because we're doing this as a, a family of neighborhood churches.
2: Leslie, a couple of months ago, a guy, he, a pastor here in the area, he came to me and he told me, Pastor Silva, you're in family church and you guys, you have a power and you have the resource. Why we don't have a big building, that's what he, he told me, and invited the entire Latin community to congregate in that building so you can have a mega Hispanic church in West Palm Beach. And I told him, we have uh, Hispanic people everywhere in South Florida, not only West Palm Beach. They are everywhere. Just check it out, you're going to see Hispanic people, uh, people from Brazil, everywhere. So, what happened if instead you have a mega church in Hispanics, we send the people from the church to plant a new church in the neighborhood? that we have a chance to reach out to those people in their own language in their, in their neighborhood. So so I gave it to him example, like Green Acres. When we planted Green Acres, we had around 120 people a couple years ago. Years later, Green Acres helped to plant a church in the south here in West Palm Beach. We helped to plant a church in north, and we sent a couple of people to downtown. Now we have uh, four churches in Spanish four, mm-hmm. and one in Portuguese. So we can send more people to different neighborhoods to reach out to the Spanish people in their own neighborhood, their own language. So because the people, they think if you have a big building and you bring everybody, they have to drive far away to get there. So it's so powerful the neighborhood church for us and Hispanics, because we have a people everywhere. You need a more neighborhood church. So it's working for us, it's working in Spanish, it's working in Portuguese, it's unbelievable.
1: Yeah, I love that because we are having as our goal to plant a language campus in each one of Mm -hmm. our buildings. So we've talked about that. So, Pastor DeSilva, you're helping us do that as Pastor Jimmy has cast that vision, in addition to, you know, potentially other Spanish or other language works around, you know, South Florida, basically. We're focused on South Florida.
0: Yeah, I think too. Look, again, we love mega churches. So I have a friend of mine, he's a pastor of a mega church here locally. And so we had an ongoing joke where he, talks to me about, hey, let's get together and let's talk about multi-site church. And I'm like, well, that's not very fun to talk about with you because we're doing something completely different. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, when we start a site or a new church, we take 50 people and we meet in a school cafeteria And when you start a site, you bought Dillard's department store. (laughs) So it's a little different what we're doing. And so I thank God for churches that have the resources and the scale and the ability to buy Dillard's department store and remodel it and fill it with people. Praise God. We need more churches doing that. But the truth is, we're not going to have very many churches doing that. It's a lot easier to find a leader who has the capacity and the ability to galvanize 50 people and start in a school cafeteria and then let that church put down some roots in a neighborhood and grow and so our ability to accumulate and to identify and to recruit and to train and to deploy leaders and resources on a smaller scale. And we also know that new things replicate faster. And so we want to we do as many new congregations as we can. And again, we think there are churches that are doing a great job. You know, my, my good friend, J.D. Greer is an expert. He identifies superstar pastors with all of this and they they give them a lot of resource. They send them with a lot of people. They have a system for doing this and they have helped catalyze large churches all over North America. Praise God for that. But in our environment, in a metropolitan environment like this, we think starting small neighborhood churches is the best way for us to use our resources, who we are in our region to do our part of the Great Commission here in South Florida.
4: And biblically, in a 1 Corinthians 12 sense, uh, one body, many members, our desires regarding church planting on the other side serve a kingdom problem of the need for church revitalization. Mm -hmm. And so rather than buying a department store even buying an old public school, we have been able to bless the stewardship that Christians have made generations ago in neighborhood church buildings. To actually have the uh, part of that part of that equation is neighborhood building, neighborhood pastor, neighborhood, and so to be able to revitalize churches in certain areas where a Christian witness could be lost. And uh, certainly, again, startup costs from scratch with a new congregation be prohibitive in many of these areas where we where people would desire to be doing church planting. Yeah, and all four
0: of you and your families attend and lead in churches that are uh, partially uh, revitalizations. Mm-hmm. So, Leslie, your church at Sherbrooke, and uh, Pastor De Silva there at Green Acres, and Pastor Todd, Pastor Kevin, like you guys, everybody here has been a part of a reboot or a Mm -hmm. reconception, a rebirth of a church that had existed in a facility, and we've renewed the facility and then injected it with new leadership, and God's really blessed uh, all of that, and we see it. And again,
1: I mean, we've learned as we've gone along the way, and so we've done a little bit of everything. We've done some autonomous plants. We've planted in a school before, but I would say, by and large, a lot of our growth is that, Pastor Jimmy, is you know, partnering with churches, we've been very specific about building relationships with churches so that we can strengthen the local church, and that's become a large part of what we've done is building a network or a family of neighborhood churches. And uh, so, what does it mean to be a family of neighborhood churches? What are the things that we hold in common? Remind us. Yeah, in order
0: for us to well, for us to be one church organizationally, there are four uh, components of that. We're going to have at family church, one name. We're going to have one constitution and bylaws. We're going to have one budget and we're going to have one leadership structure. So those are the things that we all say, if you want to be a part of the family church organization, uh, organization, we're one church because of those four things. We don't think everyone will, nor should everyone be a family church, which Mm -hmm. is why we want to strengthen all churches that we can. And we want to plant autonomous churches because there are some leaders and some churches for whom being a part of the family church family That's not the best thing for the kingdom. And we praise God that God's doing things at family church, but God's doing things a lot of places and we want to bless it and encourage it and be as much a part of it as we can. So so those but those are the four things that we say make us one church organizationally.
1: Yeah, so that's what we're all operating together on and then you've heard some of the distinctives that each one of these people have as they pastor. So around here we talk about the tension between standardization and customization because we want you to be contextualized to your neighborhood but then there's some things we share in common. So as a neighborhood pastor, how would you talk about managing that tension?
4: Depends on the kind of family member and the personality uh, that one has. I think some of our neighborhoods, for example, I'll use villages as an example. Every now and then there'll be something that has a particular flair for Caribbean-type people or a particular flair for people who've been maybe here for a long time. But um, again, I think part of the ethos is reminding and just kind of constantly keeping before the congregation that we are a neighborhood church that is part of a movement of church planting throughout South Florida. And so part of our family resemblance is things like the branding and things like uh, some of the ways we communicate uh, among all of our neighborhood churches to remind us of this common church planting vision. We have an annual kind of rallying of our vision and our leadership, and so Out of 52 weeks, there's one week where we kind of share everything together, and we're reminding people of that. We rally a couple of times a year. Again, just to remind ourselves that we are a neighborhood church that is part of a larger church planning movement and a larger congregational movement. As a matter of fact, just very recently, we had a night of worship and praise together, and we had brothers and sisters that came from different neighborhood churches, and we were able to worship the Lord and praise the Lord together. So we try to keep that uh, before us. Yeah, I think there's
3: definitely strength in how we're sharing kind of this uh, this mission together. What I loved is when I got down here, my focus is the people, my people in my church, the people in my neighborhood. And that really is the tip of the spear for us and what we get to live, live out. And then I'm obviously mindful of how we're doing ministry on our particular campus, uh, logistically and quality control. But what I love is I get this support where we're running the plays together. This philosophy, this strategy, and we're putting it into the the context of our own neighborhood. You know, there is tension, though. Let's don't lie about that. I mean, you got fourteen locations. It's like uh, our pastor often reminds us, it's like, let's say you have 14 children. They're all in different stages, different needs, different demands. What about the kid that's going off to college? What about the kid that needs braces? What about the kid that needs just a new pair of shoes? And Mm -hmm. sometimes there is that, that resource tension that we all feel. However, because we see the greater good of what we're working towards together, there is a shared approach and a shared uh, sacrifice that we're all willing to take because we can see the benefit that is across uh, all of our families of churches. But I do like the fact that we have some definite plays to run. Here's how we do kids. Here's how we do worship. Here's how we do. But in that, You can customize it based on uh, the cultural context that you're doing that ministry in. There's some freedom even in that as you're running those plays together. Uh, I like the fact that we're all preaching the same passage every Sunday. Uh, We have this listening guide that we share together, yet we all pastorally have to get and do the work of writing the sermon so that we can deliver it to our neighborhood churches. Leslie, the one thing
2: is uh, interesting in our culture, and uh, we're talking about leaders, pastors in, in West Palm Beach. When I have a chance to, a lot of pastors, and the first question they ask me is the American church, they are over you, they mm. control you. <laughs> How you deal with that? A lot of, let me tell you, a lot of pastors in the area, they cannot believe we can work together. Mm and it was only one church. And nine years ago, when you had this small group, like 100 people, and we were merged from uh, Centro Familiar Cristiano with Family Church, I had one guy, and uh, a couple, they say, I, I can't stay here because I was baptizing Centro Familiar Cristiano, I met Jesus here, and this name is gonna be disappeared, I cannot stay here anymore, and they left. Listen, okay. last week, Last Sunday we had a, this uh, event in the, our community, and the couple came back <laughs> nine years later. They came back yeah, Sunday once last week, and they say and they tell me, "Hey, Pastor Silva, the church should be attended for nine years." They suit the pastor, and it's a little bit different. And you wanna come back? Wanna come back home? And I was, I, I had a distance uh, right here my head. I said, no, get out of here. <laughs> get, I don't want you here anymore. But but I want to tell you this, because a lot of leaders, a lot of people, members of the church, they they can't believe, they cannot believe that the American leaders and pastors cannot work together because we're totally different. Because the Latino, they think the English over them, they're going to take over. So this is not a be work, and that's going to be so difficult. But the one thing I, I try to tell and teach the pastors when they say, Oh, you can preach whatever you want, and I say, yeah, and you can do the worship wherever whatever you want. I say, we are autonomous church. We are we are network, we preach the same message, and I tell them, you cannot translate a culture. You can't translate a culture. We are church to have our own identity, the way you do the worship, the way you praise Jesus, but it's the same message. It's the same church, is the same leadership, the same budget, it's we are family. Mm. This is so difficult for the Spanish people to understand, mm. but I'm so glad because one thing I have to tell you this, I never talked about this here before, but the one thing that's brought me to family church was Pastor Jimmy, the way he's thinking about the Spanish people mm. and how he's believing the, in, in the Spanish people And His leadership, the people can see that, they see that, and they believe that. That's why we are here. We're growing. God is blessing us because the leadership we have in Family Church. Amen. We're so thankful for that. Well, I think one of the great
0: things that God has brought so many godly leaders, men and women, into our church from all walks of life, from literally all over the world. And you guys are evidence of that. And I think, Leslie, the standardization customization. So we do have some things you have to do to be Family Church. We do preach the same text. We do have some communication standards. We do have, there's a box that we all decide to play in. But, and yet, you know, the lead pastor is supposed to be the lead missionary leading this mission outpost in their neighborhood. And so we want to give them the freedom and the opportunity and the resources to be a great lead missionary with a great missionary outpost and, and the, the congregation and the experience of on that church and that campus is going to reflect some confluence of the personality of the lead pastor, the physical space where they're meeting mm-hmm. and the neighborhood where mm-hmm. they're located. And you put those three things together. That's what that neighborhood church is going to affect. So if you go to Kevin's church and family church village, you know, Kevin grew up in uh the black church, traditional black church. That's a big part of his training and his experience, part of who he is. Kevin's black. He's been black his whole life. And uh, when he preaches, he likes gospel music. So they pr- sing more gospel music at the Village Church. As and he's preaching, he's singing. As, <laughs> even as he's got his hand in <laughs> organ, if he needs too. it. Yeah. <laughs> he did, yeah. But the point is like, he's going to bring that flavor. And then there's going to be uh, people in that neighborhood are going to go say, Amen. that's my pastor. That's my church. Now that church is speaking to me. And Todd Gaston is in a more kind of a, it's a suburban, more of a red state kind of a area about 50 miles north of West Palm Beach. And he's going to have to have a style that makes that church a great mission outpost to the people who actually live there in that community. And Pastor De Silva is going to reach people whose heart language is Spanish or Portuguese, depending on the church that he's overseeing. But the point is, like, it's okay because all of us are going to have our own personality. And God's going to use that. And the thing of it is, we have about uh, seven or eight million people living in South Florida in a pretty uh, densely packed urban environment. And you can plant as many churches as you want. And believe me, you're not going to have too many because uh, we're never going to run out of people to reach and praise God that we have different leaders, different backgrounds, different styles, different flavors, because we are like uh, fishing for men. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're going to have to put a different kind of hook. You're going to have to put something different on the hook to get it in the water in order to catch fish. And that's what we're doing.
1: That's so good. Yeah. So, if we have someone listening today that's thinking about trying to move toward this idea of creating a family of neighborhood churches, what does that pastor need to launch the first new church?
4: A leader who believes in collaboration. Mm-hmm. so some of the tensions that pastor de Silva addressed said were addressed to him, you know, I would encourage someone to like just consider the interaction in the book of Acts between the apostles and do I see myself as the type of leader that can function in a Peter, John, James type of environment? Do I see myself as a leader who can be more collaborative? or well, I would just, and I would say, which is a reflection of kind of Acts, New Testament type cooperation, versus a leader that's more shaped by kind of Western autonomous individualism mm-hmm. and, you know, I need my space and I need my autonomy and all those kind of things. So that's something to think about if you're thinking about a particular network of uh, neighborhood churches and understand that we are really excited about the neighborhood church. And so there might be a particular neighborhood church like family church or another church where a person might not be the exact fit, but they still might benefit from the things that we're sharing about the neighborhood church, which is why we do the podcast, which is why we do the conference. And I would say, secondly, just be honest about your gifts. A cooperative, collaborative ministry is wonderful for people who can honestly assess their gifts, their strengths, their weaknesses, and things they want to spend time doing and things they don't want to spend time doing. Now, if you want the ability to not do things that you don't want to do, (laughs) like accounting and finance and cutting the grass and things like that, then part of the dynamic of that relationship is I'm in a collaborative partnership so I can hone in on the gifts I really want to spend my time exercising. Uh, so what do you think about acts, collaboration, and what are your own gifts? Yeah, I would probably take the baton from Kevin
3: right there and say, you know, humility and fun is what I've gained in this last two years. <laughs> and humility is to put yourself under uh the voice of other fellow pastors and under Pastor Jimmy, and it has been so rich and giving. But it's intimidating to lay your life out there, to lay your leadership model out there, to lay your (laughs) sermons out there and let people speak into that. But I will tell you, there is power in collaboration. You're getting such a greater outcome when you're working together. Man, it's a lot of fun. Uh, It does take a lot of time. It takes a lot of meetings, a lot of meals, a lot of retreats. But I'm telling you, when you knit your hearts with guys, it's better because you, you don't feel as isolated, as alone as you're in your neighborhood, because you're going to every week get to share, get to pray, get to dream, get to study and get to encourage one another. There's just a, a fun factor in doing life uh, in a collaboration model.
2: I think there's a lot of things we can talking about, but we know we don't have the time for that. But in my own experience, Leslie, I had it to change my mind about the neighborhood church. I think this is the first thing that pastors leaders want to plant a neighborhood church or, and reach out to the people. And you have it to change your mind and look inside your congregation. You already have a congregation and look at who is in the congregation. So this is the people you have in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of people you're gonna reach out and you have right there, so. That's good,
1: what about you, Pastor Jimmy? we have done this a few times.
2: Ah. <laughs>
0: Well, I would would just say to anybody, like if you are in a neighborhood church, even if you're a single site, you're not even contemplating multi-site, I would just encourage you to take joy in the opportunity you have in your own neighborhood to begin to see yourself as the lead missionary of a mission outpost in the neighborhood, the town, the village where God has placed you. And I don't care where it is. And people can brag about, oh, there's this many unchurched people here. And there's this many thousands of people here. And this is the fastest growing neighborhood You may not be in one of those places, but the people where you are need a great pastor in their neighborhood too, wherever it is. They need a great pastor there and you can be the pastor in your neighborhood. And then you can follow the New Testament pattern, which is that stronger churches fund and strengthen new churches and struggling churches. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I guarantee you in your area somewhere, there is a new church or a struggling church that you and your church could come alongside you can be their big brother. You can be their friend. You can be their encourager. You may it share some resources. You be that church. And you can do that in any context with the resources you have right now.
1: That's excellent. Well, this has been a great conversation. I hope our listeners can feel the excitement, um, get a little bit of sense of the momentum that we're feeling here in South Florida, reaching new neighborhoods and new people.
0: Yeah, so Leslie, you started this by saying that we want to put a neighborhood pastor in a neighborhood church and a neighborhood building that speaks the neighborhood language, and we do. But now we've added the last couple of years, we want to add a neighborhood school everywhere we own a neighborhood building. Or we're going to talk about why that is and how important that is on our next episode. But for right now, I want to thank you for listening. I'm Jimmy Scroggins. I'm signing off for Leslie Bennett, Josette De Silva, Todd Gaston, and Kevin Smith. This is Church for the Rest of Us. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'd love for you to check out familychurchnetwork.com to chime in on our blog or follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins. We want to connect with you and learn from you because we're in this together. We're all learning from each other. We are church for the rest of us.